Advancing innovative research, academic excellence, and family-centered care to transform outcomes for children around the world. Children's Mercy Kansas City presents the audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. So our segment today is Healthy Eating, Easily Misunderstood by kids and teens. My guest is Dr. Sarah Gould. She is a clinical psychologist at the Eating Disorder Center at Children's Mercy Kansas City, and she's the assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri Kansas City School of Medicine. Dr. Gould, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate being here. So the American Academy of Pediatrics recently published a clinical report that said something interesting, and I'm going to quote this. It said, adolescents can misinterpret what healthy eating looks like and thus can lead to an eating disorder. Can you tell us a little bit more about why kids are misinterpreting what healthy eating looks like? Absolutely. So one thing to consider is purely developmental level and where kids are with developmental processes, and um, particularly cognitive ones and how they're seeing the world, which influences how they interpret information. And so kids by nature are pretty black and white thinkers. They're either or. And therefore, they have trouble with that middle ground and with moderation. And so a lot of what we know about health in general and healthy eating in particular is that extremes are the problem. It's that middle ground that is actually healthy. And kids have trouble with that. So um, kind of over-classifying foods as unhealthy equal bad, healthy equal good, and so can go um, more easily to that extreme than adults can with their understanding of the moderation piece. Yeah. So how can you tell if, uh, you know, if you have a picky eater or a child who may truly have an eating disorder? That is a fine line and a question parents are very concerned about at times. Um, And it is helpful to keep in mind that there is a new eating disorder in the um, latest DSM, DSM DSM-5, called Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, which is... um, kind of multifactorial. A lot of things fall into that, but the biggest presentation, the most common presentation we see is related to um, either fear of new things, so restricted diet um, just because new things are scary or kids have a pretty strong reaction to to broadening what they accept as far as their nutrition, um, or sensory concerns. So they get kind of stuck on accepting foods of a certain texture but not another or a certain color but not another. And the line between picky eating and problematic eating, um, whether or not there's a body image piece involved, is really a matter of are kids' diets, what they will accept, so restrictive that it limits their nutrition? So does it exclude an entire food group, for example, or Mm -hmm. really limit um, meeting their body's needs in that way? Uh, or is it that they're selective, but overall they're hitting foods in all food groups, their growth is, is on track as far as their growth history and where it looks like genetically they're built to be, um, or is growth starting to be impacted? Are there percentiles, for example, for height and, height and weight dropping off? And so part of where we judge that is on the impact of the eating. Um, and another thing to consider, too, is the social piece. Can kids go to a sleepover or their class party and eat pretty much like the other kids, or does it really limit um, different aspects of life like that that they're able to be involved in? 
Yeah. Let's so you know I, something that's going on in in our country today and this is a good thing right we're trying to educate not just kids but adults right about what healthy eating actually is um you know for decades we've been eating you know way too many preservatives uh you know foods that aren't fresh a lot of sugars salts we we know that so we're we're made there's a movement now in in trying to help kids and adults identify healthier foods, healthier food choices. But there's there's kind of a flip side that you start to see that in some cases that becomes kind of a, an obsession uh, for some people, even some kids. Is that ever, do you ever recognize that as a problem and that could lead to an eating disorder? Absolutely. And part of it is that tied in with our cultural view. Um, we put a lot of morality in food in particular, healthy behaviors in general, but our food choices in particular and thinking about, you know, someone on a diet, for example, is seen as having good self-control and good discipline and good self-care. Someone, um, and, and we talk about it in that way, oh, I broke my diet, I cheated. We use um, pretty negative terms right. that reflect right. character, not just a food. And food is actually neutral, right? It's just molecules right, piled right, right. together. And so um, that can really heighten that dichotomy, and um, feed into, pun not intended, what you're referring to as that obsession or that potential obsession that can go into an eating disorder um, of either type, whether it's anorexia with a lot of restriction or there's binge eating involved as in bulimia or in binge eating disorder. Yeah, that's interesting. Is that an important thing to, if you're a parent and maybe you're concerned that your picky eater might be, you know, crossing that fine line that you can listen to the words he or she uses to describe their diet and when they fail that diet? I mean, is that an important cue that we could, uh, you know, get in on? Absolutely. Um, and diets themselves are problematic. They are a risk factor for both eating disorders and obesity. And so it's, it's part of um, that framework as well as how many rules are there. Do I generally eat a good balance with sweets or chips or something in there sometimes, or do I consider those types of foods forbidden and out of bounds? And so even that approach, um, we hear in marketing all the time, they use the scarcity phenomenon. Buy it now, limited time only, soon to run out uh, as a selling tactic because there is that, oh, well, now's my chance. I, well, in case I need it later, i got to get it now. And we can be that way with our food as well. If we consider certain foods off limits or not allowed for us, then once we take a bite, we feel like we've already broken the rule and we might as well go all uh, the way. Yeah. So let's let's talk uh, about kids versus teens for a moment. So uh, let's let's f- first start with the kids. How can you help a child, you know, a, a child a preteen make healthier eating habits? Sure. One is to treat all foods as allowed, but remember that parents largely control what foods are available. And so that is one way to help kids learn how to eat in a healthy way and in a balanced way, again, you know, with cupcakes or things thrown in there once in a while, uh, without even talking about it, that it's just what they're used to. They're used to grabbing an apple and peanut butter for a snack, for example, um, or things like that. So it's just what their habits get to be, what they think of when they think of a snack um, or a meal. And then part of it, too, is talking about balance. Um, With younger kids in particular, it can be helpful to talk about, they will ask you because they hear lots of education in one way or another, whether it's at school or on PBS or different avenues um, about healthy eating. And so they'll ask, what part of my body is this good for? 
and that can feel a stump when it's when it's chips or something like that. You're like, oh, well, that's good for our tongue. That's food; it can be <laughs> okay. for enjoyment too. Yeah. And so, helping them break down the barriers in that way, um, and then also talking about the flip side of it. Well, calcium milk is really good for your bones. Bread is really good for energy. Meat is really good for your muscles, and helping them tie that into um, into health in a more concrete way because kids don't understand long-term consequences or outcomes very well, um, yeah. and they don't understand those implications. So tying it yeah. to them and their physical experience can be really helpful. So, and, and then how does that differ a little bit for the teen then, um, who's obviously a little bit more independent, you know, at school longer? What are some of the suggestions there? Sure. Some of that... Um, can be one helpful thing and protective factor, again, for both obesity and eating disorders is schedule family meal. There's a lot of speculation for why that seems to help. There's not a lot of agreement on that, but it does seem to hold true. And so part of that is likely um, because then again, it's a family planning a meal in a balanced way with different food groups rather than teens hitting the door super hungry and grabbing whatever they can from the cabinet. Um, and helping kids plan that way as well. And for some kids, that means making sure they have a snack between school and their sports so that they're not so overly hungry when they get home, and which makes all of us at risk for overeating if our bodies are yeah. past that point. Yeah. This is really fascinating um, information, and I think um, I liked what you said, especially with the, the child or the preteen, you know, helping them to relate a certain food group to a certain benefit uh, in the body. I think, to me, that seems like that would really help to clear the misunderstanding that some kids have about um, what healthy eating um, is. So, have you do you, have you experienced that in your in in your practice where if if the kids relate a certain food group to a benefit, that that really is helpful? Mm-hmm. It does help. We also have a subset of, um, I'd say the middle elementary age, kind of 8 through 10 probably in particular, that don't have as much um, body image concerns when they come to us in our practice, but they have high anxiety and perfectionism. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to be perfectly healthy. And that's impossible to measure. You know, on a a school assignment, you know when you've gotten as good as you can get. But with health, you can always keep going. Or if you feel Um, because a lot of the message we get are losing weight is healthy, irrespective of what your weight is. And so if that is the framework, losing weight is always healthy, you could always try to lose more. And so sometimes what those younger kids in particular just need is permission to meet their body's needs and reassurance that they they can do these other things, these alternatives to the behaviors they're currently engaging in. And those things are what's actually healthy for them. So they just need some clarification and guidance, um, partly just information, but partly the reassurance for their anxiety um, to help them know that they're really okay. Yeah, and that's really important, too, because that that overall marketing message that we all must lose weight, that's not going to go anywhere, right? So we have to really be on the ball as parents, as practitioners, to really educate them about what healthy eating is. And so I think I think the work that you're doing is fascinating. And also, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. You're listening to Transformational Pediatrics with Children's Mercy, Kansas City. For more information, you go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. Thanks for listening.